What's up? Hey, beautiful, sexy savages. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am here at a park in the Redlands, California, Southern California, just tuning in to nature, trying to sync up my monkey mind as I pull the figurative trigger on recording this introduction. Um, awesome podcast ahead. Uh, just really cool, just uh, surrounded by the trees and hearing the birds twerp and tweet. Um, it's just one of those things that we take for granted in life, you know? So, I got some cool stuff coming up with uh, my next guest, Dr. Dan Angle. But before I get into that, i like to give a shout out to my sponsor of the show, Hangry and Horny. Big shout out to F-Bomb Nut Butters. They make delicious macadamia-based nut butters. High fat, definitely not low fat, and such amazing, clean, smart fuel for the brain, the nervous system, our cell membranes. We just do not get enough clean fats in our diets, and everybody's different, obviously, but if you're probably like most people, you're not eating enough good, high-quality fats, and what best way to get that than to have a nice... Easy to go, easy to tear, delicious packet that you can rip the top off and drop an F bomb into your body. A fat bomb, that is. So go to dropanfbomb.com and punch in the promo code FLOWREAL, F L O W R E A L, and get 20% off your first purchase. Enjoy. A absolutely love their macadamia nut butters and they also have like mct oil if you're into putting that in your coffee um and they're in works of producing other delicious on-the-go fats for those that want to have a meal but don't don't want to get bogged down or for those that want to have something quick and easy to eat so check out dropanfbomb.com. And wow, that was a big advertisement. <laughs> well, guys, the next uh, episode that I'm about to release here is with Dr. Dan Angle. And I met Dr. Dan through my dear friend, Andrew Marr. And if you go to episode number two of Hangry and Horny, I believe... Um, Andrew had suffered from traumatic brain injuries in the line of duty as a special force operator. And so in his quest to heal his own brain and his, heal his body, he came across uh, different doctors, including Dr. Mark Gordon, who figured out a protocol to help heal our brains and to basically get back online with life. Because a lot of our symptoms are as a result of having some sort of trauma to the body and brain. And many of us don't know that. So that's where the education comes in. And I personally have had a lot of head injuries from playing ice hockey. 
uh, riding waves in the ocean, getting slammed on the bottom. So, you know, a lot of my symptoms of anxiety and depression, uh, suicidal thoughts had in the past been something that I thought was uh, just a personal thing that uh, it was something wrong with me per se but little did I know that it was from probably a, a brain that wasn't functioning properly and there's a lot of different things that come into play with brain chemistry and the endocrine system the hormonal system there and uh, the way that we uh, perceive our outside world so through Andrew, I met Dr. Dan Engel, who has recently written a book called The Concussion Repair Manual, and he goes into all the different tools and methods, modalities that help people heal their own brains so that they can basically get back on track with life because a lot of the symptoms like anxiety, depression, um, are being over-medicated um, by pharmaceuticals and that is just definitely one option that has helped people but it's certainly been over abused and with the opioid epidemic there's a lot of addictions and a lot of unnecessary deaths that are happening through um, prescription drugs so dr dan being the open-minded skeptic that he is and having his own personal healings from breaking his neck when he was about to enter medical school um he pretty much figured out uh how to heal himself through uh his background as a medical doctor but also seeking outside methods like going to the jungle and learning about ayahuasca for about i think seven or eight years and noticing that there was a correlation with healing for people with things like PTSD and traumatic brain injuries and other mental health issues. So he realized that although medical school was incredible, um, there was still more to learn. And he didn't let uh, medicine in the Western model limit himself in helping others heal so that's my little spiel there about um, even my own healing because I had gone and searched and it's one reason why I have this podcast Hangry and Horny because a lot of our issues in life may be coming from a brain that's not fully operating at its full capacity and that may be due to nutrition like eating too much sugar and having too much inflammation in the body and brain and also it could be from you know not sleeping enough a lot of us are chronically uh, underslept if that's a correct word and um, you know with the stresses of trying to survive in our daily life and make ends meet and so there's all these different things that help us to tune our body back to nature like grounding and earthing um, getting enough sunlight on our bodies, getting that vitamin D, getting enough omega fatty acids from seafood per se, and uh, things like that. So, you know, one of the other things is actually getting your blood measured and quantified and finding out what your body's producing in, in the optimal levels, but also in the suboptimal levels. And 
actually replenishing those nutrients that you're lacking. And so that's been my healing over the past, uh, I would say, year and a half now since I've gone on like the protocol from Dr. Uh, Mark Gordon and, and all the stuff that Dr. Dan talks about in his concussion repair manual. So without further ado, that was a long introduction as I always like to do, but uh, enjoy this amazing episode. And I apologize for the background noise as we recorded at this amazing restaurant in Sedona, Arizona called Chocolate Tree. But uh, the information is amazing. We had a great, great connection conversation and uh, enjoyed this next episode with Dr. Dan Engel. Peace. Dr. Dan, what's happening? Brother. Welcome. Good to see you, my man. Oh, man. We're in Sedona at Chocolate Tree. This is the place to be. Oh, my goodness, man. The <laughs> hub of the hub of the hub. Huh? It is the hub of the hub of the Wow, man. It's just uh, really been cool to uh, to get to know you. Uh, met you at Magic Flow Bus. Had a yeah. fun flow day. Yeah. Up in Magic. Yeah. Um, just yeah, there's the so much. What's that? That was just the intro. That was the intro, right? <laughs> more, more to come, I'm sure. Oh, man. It was like <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the on-ramp to some awesomeness. Um, lots to talk about. I was thinking, wow, go right into things like consciousness, technology, black rainbows, uh, everything, all that, everything, science, all of it. So um, what? how did you get into this space um, being a medical doctor? Great question. Um, there were two big entry points for me. Two weeks before medical school, dove off a pier, landed on my crown, broke my neck, started medical school in the halo. And that completely or reoriented me from surgical medicine into neurology and psychiatry. I got really curious about the mind, spinal cord rehabilitation, uh, getting my own brain back online after a series of pretty crazy concussions. And then after about 10 years or so in psychiatry and neurology, had my own clinic, was working in integrative medicine at the time. I was uh, still feeling like there was something else and was introduced to ayahuasca. And after that... The proverbial, there's life before medicine and there's life after medicine. When, when that weekend workshop concluded, I knew that was my path. There was more that I came in contact with in regards to my own mind and my own potential than I had accessed in 15 years of personal development work. And it wasn't to say that all of that work wasn't also helpful. Um, but the crystallization, the clarity, and also the curiosity about what altered states have for us in regards to catalyzing our peak potential. 
really being this nexus point where more of the subconscious material comes onto the surface. We get to understand more about ourselves. And it's not always rosy. It's not always really sweet unicorns and fluffy rainbows. Sometimes the rainbows are black and the yes. and the unicorns do stab us <laughs> with that lovely horn and yeah. you know, they, they turn into dragons. <laughs> right. And we're like impaled. It can be all kinds of craziness. Unicorns. Uh, skewers <laughs> right shish kebabs shish kebabs we become the <laughs> shish kebab on the end of their horn yeah it's and but it was so fascinating that world of psychedelic medicine that I knew that my life was forever changed and so at that point systematically let go of attachments let go of my clinic like sold all my stuff I just got so singularly curious about learning that methodology. Moved down to the jungle, started apprenticing with the medicine carriers, and eventually moved back. But um, those are probably the two biggest points, breaking my neck and then an intro into the medicine arena. Incredible. So you actually like just streamlined everything, just got down to the bare minimums, walked away from everything you known to dive fully in and immerse yourself in this world yeah to really study so that was almost like another uh medical school in some absolutely ways. yeah that was my training and apprenticeship so i had done medical residencies and fellowships and this was my residency in more of a consciousness-based medicine right so you had like pharmaceutical medicine now you're going into plant medicines right wow yeah and so how long did you do that for? You said 10 years or something? Or? Well, I studied only with ayahuasca for eight years. Wow. And then... Like a full-on shaman, like, apprenticeship. I was living down in the jungle for a little over a year in, in an apprenticeship path, which is you go into isolation, and where I was living was really small center. There's only a few other huts. No gringos, no running water, no electricity. I had my backpack and a hammock and really bare bones, and it was so pure and awesome. And it helped me realize how far I had been disconnected from just the earth, natural rhythms, natural medicines, understanding how we have systematically removed ourselves culturally from a real close relationship with the earth, with where we come from. And as we can access these higher realms of consciousness, we come back full circle to realize everything is connected. Mm -hmm. When I throw something away, it doesn't go away. It just goes out of my sight and I feel better because now I'm not dealing with it. It's just like how we try and throw all of our other emotional experiences away or traumas away or how we repress things. And we feel better that they're not on the surface, but they're not away. They're just out of sight, mm. but it's not out of mind. And in fact, when we have the opportunity to come back into contact with that, we realize there's more to heal. There's more to reaccess because those traumas are oftentimes the crises that precede our transformation and to come back into contact with whatever it is that has been put under the rug or swept into the closet sometimes it's my stuff sometimes it's not my stuff sometimes it's my ancestral stuff 
right? Transgenerational trauma does get passed on right. into the DNA. So most people are repressing, suppressing all these feelings of resistance, may not know exactly what they are, but they're just like putting it out of sight, dealing with whatever's going on in their life, but eventually it catches up to them. Absolutely. If we don't pay for it now, we will pay for it later. And the body stores the the psycho-emotional debris. The, the issues are in the tissues, as some of my teachers would say. So the cellular memory holds experience. The organs hold experience. The psyche holds experience. If we keep running through our lives with that in the background, it continues to shape our decisions, continues to shape our view of ourselves and the world, and it leads to cellular degeneration it leads to chronic inflammatory conditions inflammations of the mind inflammations of the body and we are at a state now where the uh, average annual um, life expectancy has been decreasing over the last couple of years that's for a variety of reasons one of which is the new opiate crisis and the mm -hmm. opiate addiction um, that's getting worse and worse and is transcending cultural boundaries and norms before like in my medical training in the 90s and 2000s most of the heroin use was in the homeless population and it was with IV drug users who were on the streets and quote unquote junkies and that's different now it's now in suburbia and it's now in the geriatric arena right so we we've crossed now population like age normative previous boundaries right we've crossed from the urban homeless population into suburbia mm -hmm. and we're seeing um just with the opiates specifically the use of heroin increasing because many people are getting stuck on pain medications but the pain medications are expensive and they have side effects heroin's really cheap and there's no side effects as much as the pharmaceuticals because you're just using pure dope interesting it doesn't have all the the fillers and the tags of other pharmaceuticals so yes there's a lot of downside to using heroin absolutely um it's extraordinarily addictive and you just see the the horrendous ramifications but if you're just making a day-to-day a -day money decision i can either continue pain medications or for a tenth of the cost i can switch over to an opiate use of heroin so we're seeing some places in the country where 50 percent of the high school seniors are using heroin what yeah there's a three county area 90 miles outside of Washington, D.C., where 50% of the high school seniors aren't necessarily addicted to heroin, but have experimented and are using heroin. Okay. Crazy numbers. Jeez, how are they getting this stuff, man? It's, it's <laughs> infiltrated into yeah. the suburban construct. Mm -hmm. And the zeitgeist is more and more... Um, appreciating the level of disconnect and the level of this subconscious but cultural trauma that we've been ignoring and the level of quick fix and challenged psychic connection to an uncomfortable state. Right. 
Like yes. right now, we're so used to getting onto the next thing and finding the next thing and being on this thing and doing whatever thing it is so that I can avoid getting in touch with what's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We don't teach our kids nor our adults culturally how to be with our own experience. Yeah. There's a parallel process where the self-development and personal help section in the bookstores grows every day with new meditation techniques, new strategies around overcoming addiction and depression and overeating or whatever the thing is. So there's a lot of information, but yet there's more and more disconnection all the time. And the pace at which we consume information is higher and higher all the time. And as a result, there's a challenged experience with us just being with ourselves and with one another Mm -hmm. that is going to come to some kind of inflection point. The epidemics are increasing and escalating in regards to not so much the, the ones that we've known historically, like pestilence and illness or war and famine, the epidemics now are epidemics of abundance because we have so many resources, we have so much time, we've kind of taken care of, many of us have taken care of our base level needs. And that's not to say that there aren't more and more homeless people as well and there's more and more people that are actually choosing homelessness because the system doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So it's really amazing that all the institutions are in major flux. Yes. Financial institution, political institution, agricultural institution, medical institution, everything is in flux. So in the midst of that, we're going to experience that because we're all part of the collective. Right. And so when we do that, we recognize more and more that the epidemics of depression, anxiety, addiction, post-traumatic stress disorder, all of these are escalating even in the face of increased pharmaceutical use for psychiatric conditions. So medications aren't the answer. So what are the answers? And thus is the nature of our question and our right. query. Like, how do we get to play the game, mm-hmm. do the work on ourselves first and foremost, because we can't help people that, to do something that we haven't done for ourselves first. And so we put ourselves in the laboratory. Yeah. Try out what's going to work. Right. And the medicines oftentimes are some of those very important catalyzing forces that work for us to get clear with who we are, and what we're here to do. So what is the lure that's happening for people in regards to um, always seeking pleasure and, and avoiding pain? And like, how is it that we can sort of find that har- harmony between the two because they both teach us lessons? Absolutely. You can't have the light without the dark. Um, it would be usually our choice, or at least from an ego perspective, to have it all like you know, rose-colored glasses and sipping Mai Tais by the pool. But we got to do our work. And this is where it gets a little bit philosophical. Like, what is the soul-level work that we're here to do? What did we incarnate to do if there was a purpose for our being here? Otherwise, we're just like pleasure monkeys trying to find our fix. Yeah, right. Because it is a mysterious world that we sort of were born into. Right. Considering the cosmos. Right. And your your question is a good one because it very much relates to some of the philosophical conversations that many of the old teachers and ancient masters and lineage holders, like the Buddha, was very clear. The ego, its its binary bifurcation point is a cho- choice towards what we desire more of, crave more, want more, and what we want to avoid, what we want to 
have less and less of and try and um, get more distance from. Usually that's something that's un- uncomfortable. So the, the suffering is the conflict between those two mm-hmm. polar opposites. Oftentimes that, yeah, dancing between how, what is this craving that I'm looking for and what is this avoidance that I'm, I'm continuously running in my mind. And these are, the, these are the deeper conversations that we don't yet engage our youth in and that we weren't engaged in. Matt, the vast majority of us weren't engaged in when we were young to actually ask these questions and develop our understanding of a relationship to these questions. Because I think in, a, in, a, you, in some ways we're always understanding more and more of our own personal truth related to these questions over the developmental course of our lives. Yeah, that's who we were talking about with your buddy Jeffrey. Yeah. And, you know, it's like now I'm entering my fourth decade and I didn't have that when I was younger. So it's like now things are starting to make sense mm-hmm. and have a little bit of uh, data from history to compare things. Mm-hmm. And But back in the early days, I didn't have anybody really to talk to you about these philosophical questions. Mm-hmm. If I did, it might be considered like, kooky and weird um but every so often i would somebody would like come in with some book and i was like holy crap other people are talking about this kind of stuff (laughs) right and then you study like ancient history and you look at like some of the artifacts and you're like i think they were also curious of what's going on back then too totally yeah yeah people have been asking these questions for as long as we were awake Maybe not as long as we were banging rocks around the fire. Yeah. But wherever that inflection point between our more kind of primal ancestry and the more self-aware parts of us that started to realize, oh, I have connection consciously with everything around me, with this process of life, with one another. Who am I? Why am I here? These are some of the baseline level questions we've been asking ourselves since we've been um, able to stand upright, and how do these questions make more relevance now in a digital age that has more and more information flooding us all the time, and the pace seems to be quickening mm. all the time. Right. What was what, so? There was these theories of when a human animal became conscious, and that was through like plant technologies back in the days. Because before that, we were just maybe like other animals right. going about surviving doing right. what like hangry and horny animal things right and then there was this sort of meta level that happened that inflection point that possibly happened through plant medicines it's very likely that that was the case and we can look at it pathophysiologically um so like dennis mckenna wrote a book on uh, terence mckenna wrote a book on um food for the gods there's a great discourse on how it was likely that we, we explored and experimented just foraging, hunting and gathering, and came across psychedelic medicines. Maybe that was psilocybin, maybe that was Amanita mascara, maybe that was a variety of other medicines. What was the original soma? The soma, like this, this catalyzing natural medicine that served as a self-aware accelerator. And then neurologically, many people have also described the process where we 
myelinated our forebrain that maybe was related to coastal tribes living in close proximity to fish sources of natural oils uh, and the omega-3s, EPA and DHA, helping to expand the evolution of our brain and this larger brain that we have based on the the mass of the rest of our body. Like we have a pretty large brain for our size mm. and a pretty sophisticated brain. Probably not the most sophisticated brain. It seems like dolphins have more sophisticated brains than we do. But dolphins are kind of hangry and horny. I mean, they're not just so much hangry, but they're <laughs> horny all the time. Like there's no, There aren't a whole lot of natural predators for dolphins. Okay. And so they're having sex. They're playing. There wasn't a really evolutionary stimulus for them to evolve into a more complex um, community-based okay. um, ecosystem that up-leveled their necessity for languaging and problem-solving in a group. Whereas, like, we as two-legged naked monkeys are pretty vulnerable and have historically been pretty vulnerable um, vulnerable to the weather elements vulnerable to mountain lions and saber-toothed tigers and other big animals mm -hmm. so we had to get really sophisticated in how we work together and understand complex um, maneuvers and communication aspects of like bigger uh more accessible ways to gain the predominant status uh, on the eco chain, on the ecosystem. And that stimulus um, to learn how to hunt and protect and be, you know, get food and shelter to become warm and to make that maybe bearing straight passage in the grand migration mm -hmm. um that may have stimulated because of necessity because of uh food sources that allowed for brain evolution and also because of consciousness technologies that were likely in the plant kingdom probably in the mushroom kingdom okay so this inflection point so when we see something like 2001 space odyssey and the monkeys are hanging around banging on rocks and then there's a big black obelisk that comes and pops down in that opening scene of 2001 which is a rad scene Kubrick was Kubrick was totally tapped in mm -hmm. makes me think like maybe that big black obelisk was like a cell phone <laughs> it just like <laughs> plopped down and monkeys started poking around on it and they're like oh technology yeah was that alien intervention you know who knows? But these are some of the cooler conversations to have. And we're in Sedona, so we I know. <laughs> oftentimes talk about alien interventions here. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking now, okay, so there's the inflection point, And then so there's this conflict within all of us, and it's getting worse or amplified through technology, which technology is just a tool, right? So it feels like people are missing that primal aspect again disconnected as you said when you went back into the jungle mm. or went into the jungle and spent some time there and you're like holy shit like i am part of this element you know not just the urban suburban worlds you know mm. and so there's this two world conflict that's happening because you are missing that primal aspect of yourself and maybe through religion and other dogmas are making people feel like um, maybe guilty or shameful and then technology comes in and 
you're just getting pleasure, pleasure, pleasure all the time. And so you're just losing that balance between those two worlds that makes us more integrated and complete. And so we need like some sort of intervention, I would say. Like sometimes it's a car accident or absolutely, or you can just go into a, a war, like conscious war through like a, a plant medicine or something like Oftentimes it requires some kind of outside intervention because we don't, as a species, nor as a collective, willingly give up our privilege unless there's a reason, unless we're stimulated to. So if I'm comfortable, comfortable with my basic necessities, comfortable in where I'm living, how I'm feeling connected or not comfortable in my state of numbness or whatever it is if i'm comfortable i'm not stimulated to change and so oftentimes it requires an outside intervention and that very often looks like crisis Mm -hmm. nothing stimulates us for change like crisis crisis precedes transformation every time and so the crisis is actually an opportunity and it's all about our perspective and how we engage that crisis. If we if we have faith that it is an opportunity, and this is where I just I love the the reflection that Viktor Frankl offers in Man's Search for Meaning. The last of the great human freedoms is the ability to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. And we have that opportunity to reflect, to shift our perspective. To have faith that what is happening is in my best good. It's in the the grand scheme of things moving me towards something that will be more enriching, more fulfilling. Most people even recognize that for themselves if given enough time to reflect and enough unbiased kind of massaging of the conversation that the things that were the oftentimes the most uncomfortable led us to a transformational process and therefore we're allies for us yeah but we don't know that until we're looking in the rearview mirror and we see that in hindsight right it's the suffering part of the ego when going through the crisis because we're wanting to avoid and avert from what feels uncomfortable which is getting oftentimes stripped away from our privilege yeah and the things that make us comfortable Sometimes that's just the, the, the function of a physical body. Yeah. Of course we're going to – I love my body. I mean, I, you know, this is how I drive myself and my mind in the world. Sometimes, my, for myself included, I get attached to my body. I get attached to it feeling good and working well and looking a particular way. And that's not necessarily bad. It's just a point of reflection that if I'm attached to something and that attachment is removed – then I'm probably going to experience some degree of suffering. Can I use that as a catalyst right. for a better a betterment of my mind, a betterment of my own connection? Sometimes it's just going through crisis in order to get humbled again mm-hmm. and reverent again for life right? so that I don't just like piss it away and it goes so quickly and I'm not really sucking the juice and the marrow out of every moment that I can. I've certainly gotten my ass kicked through long periods of physical pain, psychic pain, suicidal depression, existential angst. When I moved back from the jungle, I could not relate to community life and like the Western 
way we move and the speed and the consumption. So I lived in a tent in a suicidal depression for a year trying to figure out what just happened. Wow. But that process was totally necessary and it was one of the best things that I ever went through. We as a field of psychiatry, that's my background is in psychiatry, we don't globally appreciate that the dark night of the soul is oftentimes a transformational process that's going to lead us to greater self-awareness, greater personal mastery, greater appreciation for life. It doesn't require pharmaceutical intervention. It doesn't require a prescription. Unless somebody's actively suicidal, they're, they're actively threatening their own lives or somebody else, that's when medications work. Right. And they have their place. Yeah. Pharmaceuticals have their place. But they right now are like the consumed and assumed primary intervention point for our medical model. And that's part of the diseased model. And we're looking for an optimized, health-oriented, personal awakening model, personal awareness model, personal mastery model of medicine as a developmental process. And so if we can orient towards a more soul-centered medicine, appreciating that the dark night is a developmental aspect, and like, let's, let's have that as a part of the conversation and come back to more of the deeper awareness of how the crisis can actually be a part of the fertilizer for helping us to become more of our better selves and more connected to with, with the, the privilege that it is to be in this body. Mm-hmm. The privilege that we have in this one life because it does go by really fast. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting with the crisis uh, point of view. Uh, once you understand that, you can like sort of full throttle in life using that as an impetus. Um, consciously like you can start stepping into more of these uncomfortable situations which you know because you know what environments or situations bring that up Mm -hmm. and so now you can sort of alchemize that instead of it like hijacking you like through fight or flight now you can in that moment convert it into power and express yourself in ways that Right. You know, now you just start Absolutely. entering these like war zones, like a warrior. You know, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's in that such an alchemical process when we're 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 taking something and we're turning it into something else. We're taking a crisis and something that the ego would really move away from, start to fear, start to get like really cortisol cortisol injected. Um, adrenaline rushed, super fear-based. And when we can work with the process of shifting that in our own minds, then we are sublimating it. We are turning that from fear into faith. That's a deep process. And I don't think there's anything quite as empowering to a person's process of self-mastery than being able to turn fear into faith. At the core level, in the mind that's the primal opportunity we have as alchemists mm-hmm. and it's interesting because in the past i had read all these spiritual books and was seeking like enlightenment and in the process that sort of seemed like a, a benign path almost died you know sort of pushing the limits of using 
these technologies, whether it's plant medicines or uh, chemically derived medicines or using electricity or technology and being hooked up to it all day long kind of thing. And so it's so easy to get like addicted to uh, that path where in some ways I'm lucky I'm still here, you know. And um, I'm grateful because this life is so precious and I don't know where it came from before that. I don't know where I'm going after this, but I do know we're here. And a lot of times like people go into these sort of practices thinking that's going to be the answer to their problems, going to solve everything. Mm. And in seeking that, they get into like guruitis or cults and other sort of perverted things that come out of seeking um a deeper reason why we're here spirituality and mm. and uh, in the end it's like our mind likes to like cut and dice these things whether it's body mind spirit mm. it makes it easier to communicate but like ultimately for me it's just becoming like more human mm. and and having that balance between like the animal and then the mature consciousness mm. integrated as one mm-hmm. so yeah that was just one thing that i think a lot of people don't realize that when they go into that whole spiritual world it's so easy to just get lost in it absolutely and um you're like become a bliss junkie instead of a heroin junkie you get (laughs) get addicted to your own endogenous supply of opiates that your own body makes and uh, one of the best things i ever heard was like that sounds great whether it comes from any of these masters right it's like but does it grow corn? Right. Yeah. Are, are, do we have our boots on the ground to do the work that's needed in the world, to feed the children, so to speak? I love that. And uh, does it grow corn? Is it practical? Yes, we can make it practical. One of my teachers is fond of saying, it's important to have our head in, head in the heavens and our boots on the ground. Yes, let's be connected to a sense of oneness and a sense of interconnectivity and that bliss state that ecstasis and let's grow corn be practical and be mindful of the generations to come are we leaving it home our one collective home that is the planet are we leaving it better for those that are coming after us and if not is it isn't it like our home Right. If we invite a bunch of people over and they trash our home and then bolt and we look around and we're like, wow, what the heck just happened? Everything's broken. Everything's muddy. Everything like it was disrespected. How are we going to feel? We're going to feel like we were used, that we weren't taking that we weren't taken into consideration. Maybe I'm not going to want to invite people over. <laughs> you know, again. Yeah, yeah. The one sour uh, grape that affected right. the the rest of the wine, right. and we know yeah. that that's that, that's not a that's not a kind way to be. It's not a mindful way to be. So perhaps we can have that same attitude towards our planet. And again, if I'm throwing something away, where is it going? How how am I and my choices and my choices for clothes and my choices for drinking food and my choices for how i live which is a you're in your home too right right yeah yeah how am i treating my body mm-hmm. how am i treating this home this temple am i cleansing it oh i just went through a f- the first cleanse i had done in a long time okay. last week that was so good out at our our friends 
place at the at Grace Grove where you're going to be tonight. Yes. And it was great. Um, just the opportunity to slow down, to eat less. We went on a liquid diet for a week and ended up in, ended up in a liver gallbladder flush. And, and I hadn't done that process in years. And it was just really a beautiful um, care to give the physical structure. And, you know, there are a lot of people have different views on the need for detoxification and the yeah, need for fasting. or so many opinions on so just that alone versus, right. like, how one should be in the world. Right. And but, you know, however we do it, it's nice to appreciate that we get attached to food. We get attached to certain things. It's nice to slow down. It's mm -hmm. nice to clean out, just like we would go through a spring cleaning. That's right. essentially what we did for our bodies, and it's like we can do that for our home. Yeah, we can do that for our communities. We can do that for the planet. How do we clean up the mess that we've made? And in many respects, I think there's good evidence that we have created a fairly sizable mess that we don't yet know how to handle. Um, these huge plastic islands in the middle of the ocean, these huge clear cuts that are eliminating a, a portion of the rainforest the size of Connecticut every day, plus or minus depending on estimations. But that's a that's a massive amount of trees. Yeah, a hundred species going extinct every day. These are because of all of our collective choices. So how do we share this kind of conversation in a way that doesn't feel so doom and gloom that does have some proactive, um, personally empowered steps to make gradual but consistent approximations towards positive change that does have a sustainable benefit mm -hmm. for ourselves, for our communities to come. And oftentimes these are the kind of concepts and conversations that get woken right and triggered through the medicine experience because we have oftentimes when the medicine experience is facilitated in a good way it's safe set and setting is right we've prepared well we've dropped into a powerful experience and we've integrated that well oftentimes people have these because this is the work that i do i would say 80 percent 80 85 percent of the clients and clients friends and family i'm speaking with in the in the process of integrating a peak experience start talking about how to give back to a system and an experience and in a community and a planetary movement that's larger than just themselves right just providing solutions through service yeah recognizing that we're all in this together mm -hmm. this is all our home holy shit did i forget that yeah now what can i do to make my own life better and help to do that for everybody right. and, and, and come to an orientation that whatever I want for myself, I want for everybody. And that's a radically different view than the cultural norm right now. Yeah, it's pretty wild because we are on like one big cell. <laughs> Absolutely. Big blue marble Floating cell. Yeah. around in space. Right? Just flying through the galaxy and... Uh, and I guess where we are, like, currently is sort of where it's the collective human um, combination of, of actions and decisions and choices that mm -hmm. were made. So it's like, okay, the evidence is there's no trees, 
here there's all this plastic in the ocean there's um you know all kinds of destruction going on and we are sharing that even though like i'm not necessarily uh i'm taking action to go the other way and to help heal the planet as a whole of how many seven billion people like we are collectively contributing to that so it's like that's a good like uh i guess measurement to see okay so this is where we're at and are we gonna go like get worse or are we gonna like improve it Mm -hmm. so and that's the same like how i start to see myself every day at the end of the day is like did i uh, improve myself or the world or Mm -hmm. did i like destroy it myself Mm -hmm. in the world so i think it's cool that if we could instead of fight each other on like philosophies and and ideas is to say uh i like what jordan peterson been saying like clean your own room Mm. you know stop telling people or proselytizing or preaching like clean your own body your own mind your own spirit clean your own room your own house and if everybody did that then I think it would end up the sum total of all the human's actions would lead to a place that's better for generations to come. Absolutely. Personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Taking care of our own mess. And then serving. Make, getting more and more. Sometimes that takes an honest inventory. Yes. An AA saying, have I taken an honest inventory? Have I taken... Do I have a clear view in the mirror of what's in alignment and what's not in alignment? And sometimes that's, a, again, that's that kind of the crisis process. Yeah. Right? There's a reason that Morpheus asks Neo if he's ready to take the red pill. Because the awakening process is sometimes not comfortable. Me getting in touch with how messy my freaking room is might not be the most pleasant experience. And, and who's going to help me see that clearly if I'm not able to see it myself? Which and is wild because understanding cognitive biases and sort of our own internal blind spots, um, why we almost need each other for feedback as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. get feedback that you don't right. like to hear. Right. You're like, oh, okay, maybe I need to look at that. <laughs> right. In some ways, that is another crisis. Yeah. Totally true. It's interesting, too, in the day and age that we live in that has the opportunity to share information so quickly and the Me Too movement that's been rising Mm -hmm. and women speaking out on behalf of their own frustration of um, the experience that they have – many have received – um, at the hands or the the specific choice of men to not respect their boundaries, their wishes, their um, agreements that have transgressed those agreements or boundaries, etc. And how the opportunity to share that kind of information is bringing the potential to have all the shadow be moved into the light. Like we're no longer willing to go with the the norm that might have allowed some horrendous acts 
to be there before. Or if there was something that was really horrendous, it didn't have the potential to be globally communicated or <laughs> shown fairly instantaneously. Mm-hmm. And so that's a power. The, the ability to globalize and digitize information instantaneously is a power. And with any power, like, like Spider-Man's uncle said, with any, with any power comes great responsibility. So how are we using that? How are we using our voice? And with this last school shooting, there's this like movement and mass of teenagers stepping up and saying, this is not right. We have not been protected. We are finding our global voice. Mm-hmm. And they're having some significant impact. Yes. People are paying significant attention. Mm-hmm. So there's... It's the straw that dynamic. breaks the camel's back in like yeah. all these arenas. It's a dynamic time on the planet. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a ripe time to be having these conversations. And when I think of something like the medicine arena, when these are technologies, the medicine arena is one consciousness technology that I'm very passionate about and connected to. And there are many consciousness technologies that can be accessed to help us catalyze our awareness of who we are and what we're here to do. Oftentimes with the medicine arena, when we have a reconnected experience, um, what William James would speak about, like a religious experience, a transformational experience, when we have a sense of that peak experience that's a vision into our reconnectedness Mm -hmm. with one another and everything, then there's more of the inclination and desire to speak about these kind of concepts. And how we are respecting or not one another, how we're respecting or not ourselves, how we're respecting or not the planet, how we're respecting or not the generations to come. These kind of things get stimulated in conversation more and more and more and more, which is why I get so excited about the medicines when they become more legalized Mm -hmm. to help us shift into the next phase of our global living as a as a family of humanity in harmony together. Right, right. And what's interesting too is could you talk about the dark sides of that? Because like even what I was saying, chasing enlightenment almost led to my death, chasing flow states. And I could see why some of these extreme athletes chase it because they, for a, a few minutes or a day or two, they're, they're not feeling their demons their demons are gone and then all of a sudden bam on the backside of a hangover from a flow state or something those demons come back with vengeance raging yes and so um with plant medicines and like you said a proper like set and setting and guide there's all these people that abuse it and just become a touristy thing a sort of trendy thing so you see that like possibly happening with like the legalization of marijuana like there's such a huge responsibility with this power this powerful tool and technology absolutely i've i've experienced that firsthand with with the which is the seduction of the ecstatic state and went way deep into the medicine arena part of it is because i was wanting to learn about it and I took an apprenticeship path because I wanted to learn the methodology and the cultural understanding and the nuances of plant-based medicines and ayahuasca 
is a very nuanced medicine. And, it, and historically, the medicine men and women who facilitate wouldn't facilitate for others maybe 10, 20 years in, into their apprenticeship because it's so complex and and it requires a lot of understanding and and it's become super trendy and super chic today ayahuasca is one of many medicines that have been that has been globalized very quickly and as a result has stripped its um growth rate and as we're moving in the opposite direction of sustainability, we're not. We, we're we're also doing that with the forests. We're also doing that with a lot of our our community gardens and um, many other natural resources. So, if we're just talking about plant medicines, ayahuasca is one of those medicines that takes twenty to ten to twenty years to really propagate and mature. So does San Pedro cactus. So does peyote, another cactus in, indigenous to North America. Um, so is the Sonoran Desert Toad. So is Iboga, an African shrub that's amazing for opiate addiction and many other addictions. And if we're not paying attention to giving back, to planting as much as we harvest, then we're going to consume that to the exclusion of the coming generations and the opportunity to, to share that medicine with others. So... Yes, these medicines oftentimes lead to ecstatic experiences, but if we're not integrating that experience and we're just coming through a consumptive wheel and we're just consuming that more and more and more, then are we taking somebody else's potential towards a path for their own awakening? These are all important conversations to have. And one of the the... Um, seductive experiences in the bliss state is to want to try and continue to ride that high. Right. And we're not meant to do that. We're not meant to be in bliss all the time because there will be time to plant the corn. The beauty comes in finding the opportunity to see that as a blissful experience too. Yeah. And to come into contact with the fears and that we're not just chasing our high to avoid our fears, right? So the opportunity to be an awakened person, a self-realized person, is to look at all aspects of ourselves, including our shadows. And that takes an honest inventory, and sometimes it takes a clear reflection from other people to say, is this the right use of this medicine? Are you having a right relationship with it? Mm -hmm. Are you integrating the experience that you just had because if I come out of an experience and my cup is full with all of this gold because it was just this blissful experience am I just trying to pour more and more bliss into that full cup and then it's just overflowing yeah right am I taking my yoga off the mat am I taking my meditation off the cushion and making it workable in my life and at that point if I'm doing that and I know that I've milked that experience as much as I can and there's still more work to do, great. Then we come back into the medicine and then we come back and we surrender again and we pray it up and we make a clear intention and we let that go and we trust the process that whatever's happening is happening in the right way. 
And that's a larger faith conversation about life in general, Mm -hmm. but also about the medicine path itself. The sustainability piece is one thing that many people aren't considering. Right. And integration is another piece that many people have historically not considered, and there's more and more discussion around that, which is helpful. And even uh, the training aspect of selecting the proper mature individuals that can like hold the set setting space um because it's become trendy it's almost like uh you know a weekend certification course you know that people are yoga waska yeah <laughs> i just had my 200 hour training in the jungle i'm ready to teach my own class right facilitate my own circle hold space for other people's transformation that requires a lot of skill so that I'm not projecting my own stuff into that person's process of awakening, mm-hmm. that I have the mindfulness also to know as like a spiritual EMT how to intervene when things get really hairy and when to not intervene and not try and rescue that person because they look uncomfortable. Right. And I've got my own rescue archetype that wants to be acknowledged for my ability to save somebody and then put on this altar with all of the other masters and idolized Mm -hmm. there's a lot of personal development work that has to happen to come into that space of being clear clean strong and skillful to be able to facilitate that process for another wow so there's a sense of uh, bias that happens right because you are looking at all the um people in general are looking at like just the the best parts of things and then tossing the rest out Mm. so you know whether it comes with these teachers or something a lot of people when these teachers leave they can't ask the teacher like what did you mean by this so like all the teachings get misconstrued and then of course with yoga waska or whatever there's this sense that now you're you're the leader a teacher that people are like now putting you up on a pedestal with this whole guru thing and then then comes all the seduction parts of you know i mean sex and love making is beautiful but at the same time like people are coming up to you and you don't have the training to say okay is this a more of a a legit interaction or i'm just like here to just get off mm-hmm. of my power get as much money sex fame as possible feeding the ego. yeah feeding the ego and all the ego's desire for recognition validation power which are all understandable we all want to be recognized we all want to be validated we all want to have a sense of our own power being expressed and being recognized for its beauty right that's the light side of power and then there's the dark side of power, just like there's George Lucas yeah, nailed yeah. it with Star Wars, <laughs> Star dude. Wars, yeah. The dark side and the light side of the force. Mm-hmm. It's very archetypal. It's yeah. very primal. And it takes a lot of mindfulness and a lot of self-reflection. The teachers that I've enjoyed working with the most over long periods of time are those that continue to deflect praise. And they they offer the praise back to their own teachers to the medicine and to the guru that is within everybody and 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 they as a facilitator are just the messenger they're just in the support role they're holding a really important role but it's just one of support and in that degree of humility to continue to recognize that the medicine is actually in the in the medicine 
the medicine is in the process. The medicine is in like our own willingness to show up and have the courage to go through what for some people can be a really scary experience mm-hmm. when the the goddess herself turns into Kali and cuts our head off. And, you know, like that, that can be kind of intense. <laughs> yes. And how do we show up again to do that work? Right. After we got our sh- just our asses kicked and the shit scared out of us, how do we show up again to do that kind of work? Because we know it's a part of the process of becoming our better selves. Mm-hmm. I love this process because uh, you can actually experience sort of this scary movie without having to put yourself at risk of actually like losing your body or body parts Mm. so like some people will do extreme like skydiving or something or uh free base free climb rock climbing and um or maybe do mma or something or go into war but you can actually like go to these scary places in your mind with the medicine Mm -hmm. and be safe come out on the other end and have this greater appreciation for like life because there was some sort of ego death, at least in my experience. And at the same time, you come back into life and if you get that message, uh, life itself becomes almost psychedelic in a mm. way where every experience is, again, going to those uncomfortable, pl- uncomfortable places. Let's, let's say you're chasing your dream and you don't know like what the next step is in that that hero's journey and you just go and face that dragon and in killing it metaphorically right you you come up with this information that you can now share with other people and enable them to like be empowered to do whatever they're here to do yeah yeah it's i'm reminded of another terrence mckenna He's just like such an icon, right? Because he was so prolific in his writing, so yeah, his tapped in. It's unbelievable. He had this great definition of the shaman. The shaman's the one in the tribe or in the community that was willing to go to the edge of the known, jump off <laughs> into the unknown, have an experience, come back and tell people what happened. Right? And there are those of us that are adventure seekers mm-hmm. and consciousness explorers that are willing to have these experiences first and foremost for our own betterment for our own process of self-awareness and and depth and and that's also not to overly romanticize the medicine path because the medicines aren't for everybody and i don't think everybody's ready for them um most people are able to utilize the experience if they've been prepared well um, but people are on a varying degrees of readiness. And when prepared well and with a safe experience and full integration support, it's amazing the transformations that happen. And some of us are going to get called into that path earlier than others. And so we're a bit on the front line of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's becoming more and more appreciated. But, you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't really much at all discussion in the cultural norm around psychedelic medicines nor ayahuasca and uh, more and more is coming out more and more documentaries more and more excellent articles rolling stone had a great article last year 
Um, the New Yorker had a great article the year before. Um, the Times just had an article on microdosing. There was a CBS Sunday morning special about microdosing just last week. Wow. We're talking about major news syndicates. And that was a fairly positive discussion. And so that's happening. And so there's a reason that's happening. The data is becoming more and more widely available, published, recognized, and better studies are being done. So MDMA is going into phase three trials right now. MDMA could be legal in the next two to three years for for trained professionals, therapists, PhDs, MDs to use MDMA specifically for PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, just like ketamine is used right now legally but needs a prescription, schedule three uh, for treatment-resistant depression. And ketamine has been legal for She's 25 years plus or minus. And, but only up until the last few years have you really been hearing about it. Now ketamine clinics are popping up everywhere. Flotation clinics mm. and flotation spas are po- popping up everywhere. Flotation is an amazing consciousness tool. And it's a, gr- it's a great healing tool, too, yeah. for the body and the, the mind. Right? We've so, talked a lot yeah. about flotation. Well, I remember you were saying that, well, that that would be like stage zero mm-hmm. out of like, let's say there was like four or five stages of uh, entering like higher levels or um, more advanced technologies, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that would be like the first one that people yeah. could do because you're in there in right. sensory deprivation right. with just yourself floating in in water salt right. water and and in darkness and flotation is amazing it's definitely part of that preparation model right. right so if people are like oh i want to have a breakthrough experience with medicine go float first because if you can't hold your stuff together in the tank you're really gonna have a hard time in the experience absolutely yeah and the tanks are just amazing because all of a sudden now there's no sight no sound no gravity no proprioception kind of like wonkiness we're not tracking ourselves in space and so generally 80 plus percent of all of the sensory stimuli is offline and we come into a greater experience with the connection of like wow who am i yeah what am i here to do what what am i connected to what's connected to me in this big grand void that maybe where i came from before this life maybe where i'm going to after this life what's my feeling about that is there excitement? Is there fear? Is there confusion? Is there curiosity? All of it comes bubbling up to the surface. Mm-hmm. I love the float tanks. Yeah, it's a mirror to your own awareness and consciousness. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's incredible. Um, let's talk about intuition now and like how people can discern how to like go down the path of their life and know like the light and the dark um in regards to let's say um getting involved with plant medicines or Mm -hmm. or some other psychedelics how would they know i know how this happened for me but how how would they know um that it's right place to do it Mm -hmm. because there's so many like scammers out there absolutely and there's so many variables to, at, to assess somebody's readiness. And it's probably the most common question after mountains of emails 
<laughs> well, this about be like good, yeah. I want I want to have an experience. Mm-hmm. Am I ready? Can you help me? Can you point me in the right direction? Um, what tools and pieces of information are available? Um, and it's a good question, and it's a important question to have. I oftentimes just point people into areas of accessing information and just getting more and more of their awareness of what they might be getting into. There are certain documentaries. Neurons to Nirvana is a great documentary um, on the history of medicines and where they're at and why they were made illegal and where the research is going now. There's a couple of specific documentaries that I really like. Um, I'm a bit biased. We have a good documentary that we did on ayahuasca. Oh, cool. Um, through Aubrey Marcus's website. He produced it. Okay. And um, he and I are good friends. We spend a lot of time in the jungles together. And um, what's, what's that movie called? Ayahuasca. Okay. So if you um, Google Aubrey Marcus ayahuasca documentary, it'll point to his. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And the reason I like it is because we did a good job in that documentary of just showing people's story and their process of going through the, the work and what's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, there is another good documentary on psilocybin called Psilocybin, A New Understanding. That's about more of the clinical data. Um, through, I think it was John Hopkins or maybe NYU's uh, research in psilocybin supporting people going through cancer experiences and the potential of end-of-life transition. And um, there's a mountain of information and a variety of websites that are popping up now. MAPS, M-A-P-S, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, they run the largest psychedelic research conference every year in the bay okay they have a mountain of good research on their website um books i like jim fadiman's psychedelic explorer's guide Mm -hmm. jim's just a great writer he's been in the field for eons 60 years wow um he's a gem of a guy uh and it's good practical information for people um to assess some of their own readiness and then there's more and more available medicines in the underground community and the benefit is that people have more and more access so there's more and more conversations there's more and more of this grassroots movement when people wake up they're like holy shit why isn't this available for everybody who told me that something from nature should be illegal who said psilocybin should be illegal and if we're talking about sustainability psilocybin has the most street cred (laughs) <laughs> because every you can grow mushrooms anywhere, right? And they're powerful, mm-hmm. and they've been used for thousands of years. They grow out of shit. I mean, it's so alchemical, right? <laughs> Something that grows out of shit that can help you really wake yeah. up and see your best beautiful shit self. To shift, yeah, from shit to shift, right? And as we start to have more and more of that availability, there's also more people who facilitating who don't have the credentials the training the own psychic awareness their own deflection from that guru savior seduction like i'm the one doing this it's like i'm just here to be supportive to the process of your best self unfolding um and therefore it's and i've I get those kind of emails all the time too. Like I had this crazy experience that left me traumatized. What oh. do I do now? Mm. Um, or I, 
had a wonderful conversation with a woman a couple of weeks ago that she had a horrible experience 25 years ago that she's still experiencing PTSD from. Replaying in her mind over and over. Yeah, yeah because mm -hmm. she didn't have the opportunity to have these kind of conversations and just say, oh, she had an awakening experience that she wasn't ready for. Didn't know how to integrate. Shut it down. Made herself wrong for it. Family made her wrong for it. And has been suffering through that trauma since. And we had a conversation that helped her just normalize the process. And and now all of a sudden her life, she's on a new trajectory. It's just that point of validation and knowing that the integration, because not everybody's wet, ready for that powerful experience, mm -hmm. right? And how do we integrate the the experiences that are less than optimal and less than ideal and less than that shift maybe we're still in the shit maybe we're we've only been birthed halfway and we're stuck in the canal right right how do we intervene and this is where this is part of the reason why we're cultivating more and more of these research protocols to help optimize the success for people going through these arcs and we're building the prototypes for the new centers of psychiatric medical care that use medicines as a foundational principle and pillar. It doesn't have to be medicine exclusive, mm -hmm. like people don't have to only experience medicine in order to have psychiatric rehabilitative care, right? But medicines are available right. to those that are ready, willing, and able to utilize that in a good way. And there's the whole other piece around dietary restoration, mm -hmm. understanding genomes and right. like genetic potentials and targeted supplementation and neurochemical mm -hmm. rehabilitation yeah, and microbiome microbiome yeah, and exercise um, movement all of it yeah how to access flow states in a healthy way all of this comes into an umbrella of a sophisticated model that shows what psychiatric care can become and is moving towards because we see a renaissance happening in psychiatric medicine just like in all of medicine just like in most of the sectors that we talked about right political sector financial sector agricultural sector educational mm -hmm. all of the major institutions are shifting it's all a global crisis it's all a global opportunity and the more and more we get clear on what role the medicines do and don't play and how to offer people those in the right way, then we can start to prove not only the medicines, because the medicines are being proven, the data's great. We're proving the model, the model of the center and, the, and what the system looks like okay. to have them integrated into. And then once we prove the model, then we franchise that out, franchise that, so to speak. We scale that out. Right. And then it becomes the movement and it's the new normative of what psychiatric care can be yeah it's beautiful man i mean because these things start entering like mainstream uh, slowly over however long maybe the last century like all the different technologies and it we're, we were just children in the early days as our ancestors you know and, and so it's a chance for each succeeding generation to like mature would be that global consciousness I was talking about earlier like 7 billion people and there's more adults on the planet that are mature that are teaching like the children that are and the, the earlier stages of development so it's um, exciting that there's these kind of conversations happening in these varying sectors 
whether it's political, um, even like the gun control issues. Like, what is interesting is when the pendulum swings too far the other way because let's say school shootings like let's ban guns you know and like i agree like guns should be in the hands of mature individuals that are like qualified and trained i don't necessarily believe that this should be completely banned because there's a reason why we have like the second amendment you know and so a lot of these things get tossed out with the the baby with the bathwater where if we could just have a discussion on how we can use these tools and technologies in a very mature way and teach people how to have these hard conversations mm-hmm. you know like not just polarize on one side mm. which is fine but in the end if these people that are at the extreme left or right can have a conversation with each other and find a solution that's more harmonious mm-hmm. you know than, than just their way absolutely i think there's so much more progress going to be occurring and i feel like it is happening i feel like we're at a place with social media and media and everything's so amplified and, and yeah. you see all these peculiar type of viewpoints um and almost like even a, a new class of uh, genders or something was mm. really fascinating too so i think that it's, it's really neat that if we can have a conversation those hard talks mm. and not just be staring at our phones or diving just in the information that like gets us high because we believe in it but we actually read the other viewpoints or we talk to other people other viewpoints and you're like why why does that poke me inside you know like maybe i'm a little dogmatic and i need to look at that blind spot absolutely yeah yeah having the opportunity to come together with curiosity curiosity of other people's viewpoint and what am i biased against and how am i not appreciating the fact that they may have a point of truth too most people are doing the best that they can do at any given time given that tools that they have myself included mm-hmm. my parents included when i was little <laughs> you know yeah, oh yeah. they didn't do this for me or they didn't do that for right, me like, right everybody's just doing the best that they can yeah and that doesn't mean like when people do crazy stupid shit that's really mean to one another that they shouldn't be held responsible i don't have to agree with everybody's actions but i i try and be curious about what their perspective is because there might be something for me to learn mm-hmm. It's like basic tenets of nonviolent communication. Marshall Rosenberg's platform is great in that. It's really simple. Respect each other's point of view and get curious about it. You don't have to agree with it at the end of the day. And if they've done something that's egregious to one another, then make amends. Find an equitable way to come back into some degree of relation as opposed to saying you have no right to your perspective, which is like dogma right religious dogma oftentimes yeah yeah man well uh it's been pretty deep you know it's been a fun journey um yeah it's what's 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 next on your like path and your journey like thanks for the question it's always uh it's always fun to have the reflection of how many things are moving Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my sphere Sometimes I feel like the cat in the hat with so many awesome things 
in process. Um, well, for, well, you you did release a book on like how to heal the brain from yeah. concussion. So yeah, that's a, a a big part of how we interface with this reality. Because if the brain is damaged in some ways, where now it's an inflammation, chronic inflammation, or or the hormones are not in balance or in harmony, that will affect how you interface with the Absolutely. world. And, and a lot of people will take that personally, being and not know that that their concussion led to their um, symptoms of acting a certain way, whether they have depression, anxiety, or they just are making these impulsive decisions. Absolutely. So once they realize, like, it's not necessarily me as a soul or a being, is the mechanism is out of kilter. Absolutely. And if I could get that repaired, yeah. maybe I'll start to see the world a little more clear and I'll, I'll be more vitalized and charged. Absolutely. Yeah, it's such sweet music that just came on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, when we're... Including the lady I was talking earlier. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, when we're thinking about... When I think about if I'm working on my own system or if I'm working with friend, family, or client about a process that they're going through, and and there are levels of complexity, there are levels of investigation, then then we have the opportunity to look back and see how many how many levels do we want to try and access the awareness of through that process. So if somebody's just going through like a simple decision or a simple experience, great. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. It might be like, I got a pain, it's body-based, don't eat that food. Great. Hiking, fell down, broke my ankle. Maybe I just slipped and it wasn't like some, you know, a heart healing that needed to happen or some like yeah, put psychic too intervention. Much meaning yeah, it's like, it. you, just, you just like, broke your ankle. That's you need it. better shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think about it body, mind, heart, and soul. All four of those le- levels and layers. Sometimes it's just body based. And I put brain and body. That's just hardware. So the book that you were speaking about that I launched last year, the Concussion Repair Manual was largely two, two big areas that I geek out on a lot, have a fair bit of expertise, and I dive into pretty full on, is brain recovery and psychedelic medicines. And how those interface, when we're looking at the brain and the nervous system, we're looking at and the body itself, but particularly the brain and nervous system because their relationship with consciousness to psychedelic medicines, we're looking at hardware, right? And when we're looking at the other side of the equation, the psychedelic medicine piece, we're looking at consciousness and we're looking at software. So when we're doing the hardware and the software work together, then we're really accelerating people's optimal potential, the personal potential movement. I see these two being like the anchor points, Mm -hmm. left hand, right hand, yin and yang. And so my entry, I told you about breaking my neck and I had five other really bad concussions and when I was studying neurology, nobody had good, good answers for post-concussive syndrome, and that was just horribly disappointing. So I put myself in the laboratory, and I studied it for the last 20 years, tried to find what, what, what would work and what didn't work, and I put it into the manual. Um, because it's frustrating to have an experience where your brain's not working the same. It's frustrating to have a, an experience when your body's not working well, but when your brain's not working well, everything feels super confusing and, and really, like, 
like kind of Linus with the dark cloud, you know, just like <laughs> yeah. yeah, trying to find the light switch in the dark. And so that was a big entry point for me to come into an act of service. First of all, trying to figure out how to heal myself and then working with others through the same process. And the same thing with the consciousness piece because we're doing the same investigation, right, with brain and neuro excitatory neuro harmonizing neuro awakening methodologies and consciousness excitatory awakening catalyzing stimulating growing experiences the consciousness piece gets me more and more excited because um there's just more like soul like what i think about in the soul arena so body mind heart and soul the soul aspect of why we're here what we're here to do what's our purpose and passion how do we how do we have the experience of ourselves as multidimensional beings, as whole, full, fulfilled, satisfied, and awake humans? We can do that through an opportunity of healing the body, healing the brain, going through concussion recoveries. And if you have a concussion or a head trauma and you haven't dealt with that, it's really hard to get to the consciousness piece. But sometimes, interestingly enough, going through the consciousness piece will heal the body, the mind, the heart, the brain, the nervous system. Yeah. All of it. Right. Um, So there's such a beautiful interface between the two. So I'm still doing a fair bit of neurocognitive recovery in in the concussion healing arena I'm, com- I'm moving out to boulder right now i'm coming on board with two different agencies whose specialty is in neurologic recovery and repair um one is a chiropractic clinic one is an osteopathic clinic and 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 me as an allopath as an md i have a, a lot that we can offer one another synergistically i like working with other disciplines because mm-hmm. they have a different frame that I get to learn from, and I have a different frame that they get to learn from. Mm-hmm. I love that level of collab- collaboration, and I see that happening more and more in medicine too. And I think it's necessary. Yeah, um, just like you were talking about before, like how do we learn from one another and kind of like grow our own awareness? And just because I know from a particular standpoint doesn't make what you know wrong. Like, how can I get more curious? And so well, that's, that's what hangry and horny is. <laughs> more and more, yeah, you get to learn from everybody, you know. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So the brain recovery piece is one aspect, and then the psychedelic medical research and orientation. More and more education and advocacy. Full spectrum medicine is coming into its next evolution, and we're going to be producing courses and um, blueprinting the psychiatric renaissance through the psychedelic medical research and involvement being instituted into the the future centers that we know are the healing centers that offer the greatest potential for people to go through a healing experience to be able to be liberated from their suffering. So it's taking a bit of a traditional model in looking at suffering mind states into a contemporary medical arena and bringing the the present technologies with some of the spiritual traditions or the consciousness-based traditions and how we stimulate people through a self-aware process that has consistently showed data 
to help people resolve depression, anxiety, PTSD, addiction. And when the centers are available and online, and we're prototyping the new centers now, then we're going to see a complete revolution in the entire healthcare industry. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. Two more things. Yeah. Um, are we in a virtual simulation? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I think every time I watch The Matrix, it makes me wonder how true that movie is. Um, and sometimes in my own experiences, not necessarily just in medicine experiences, in my own like lucid dream states or... Uh, being back here in Sedona, the, the the grid, so to speak, is really clean and the veils are really thin and my dreams are really vivid. And I, and I can tell I'm asking questions in the dream time and I'm playing out different scenarios in the dream time just to come back with more information about that very question. Yeah. And I think in many ways we are. And in many ways, that's what we've opted into. Like perhaps being in the dream state or where we were before we were born or where we're going to go back to after we're not here in this monkey suit. Maybe that's the re reality. Maybe that's the real experience of oneness. And maybe this is just the dream state of that reality that we're playing out for a reason. I do believe we're here for a reason. I don't necessarily believe that we're just here to kick it. I think we're here to learn and grow and evolve. It makes more sense that that would be the case to me. Um, I kind of see it as like this life school. We're always growing and always learning. And we're, we're, we've graduated when we're no longer in a suit. And we've crossed back over. So in some ways, I think it is a simulation, a virtual reality, if you want to call it that, simulation. Um, but I also believe it has merit and reason. Um, and we're here. To grow corn, yeah, and to do this thing with each other, right. you know, have these yeah. physical experiences. Yes, and um, last question. It seemed like all the things that made you you at this moment, all the sort of dark things, the light things, um, it, it puts you in a position where you're helping people with consciousness, with being in the body, and this experience. Do you feel like you you co-created that or mm. um, it's just happening to you? Great question. Because we were talking about that earlier, right? About, so I'm, I just turned 40 last year and because I had this uh, context of my life, it's starting to make sense. Like all my rock bottom moments led me to this place mm -hmm. that's putting me in a position to help people from uh multiple areas of skill sets that mm -hmm. I, I would not have been able to do that if i just said okay this is my path and I, that's all i'm gonna do mm -hmm. it was like the universe or cosmos or whatever was guiding me it's like no we want you to go down here yeah. you're gonna pick up that tool you're gonna come back here yeah. now we want you to go over here you're gonna yeah. pick up that tool now right. you got these tools right that are gonna help people and i can look back go oh maybe that was preordained or destiny but at a certain level i felt like i did it too you know absolutely i fully believe what you're saying is true i fully believe we co-create our existence, our reality, our lives. And fortunately, 
I'm becoming more conscious of that co-creation. Whereas before, I wasn't. I was still co-creating, but I wasn't doing it so consciously, mm. like so will willingly, right? So directly and concertedly. Like, what am I right now orienting towards? If I'm oriented towards fear, towards scarcity, towards trauma, or from trauma, I'm orienting towards those things. I'm still co-creating my reality. I'm still l- seeing the world and myself through the lens of fear through the lens of scarcity. So I might want to hoard. I might want to continue to accumulate or consume. I might have a hole in my heart because of trauma that I just keep wanting to feed with food or chasing bliss or chasing flow or chasing sex or chasing work or chasing power or like whatever. But that's not going to heal this hole because that's in my heart. That's my emotional body and that trauma needs to be healed. And then once that, so I need to come back into contact with that trauma. So if, if I'm running those programs, I'm still co-creating my reality. And some people, and myself included at times in the past, will see that co-creation not consciously as one of co-creation, but like the, the world is happening to me and not with me. Life is happening to me and not with me. I, if, and that's a very disempowered frame to use that means i don't have the opportunity to shift it i have the opportunity to shift it at any point even when the shit's really going down and when the shit's really going down i have the greatest opportunity to shift it because then i've taken like all my fear and i've bundled it it's been bundled i've bundled it or it's been bundled it's been co-creatively bundled into this experience and then I can move from that darkness into the light. Or I can, like Joseph Campbell says, in the, in the cave you fear lies the treasure you seek. Mm-hmm. Right? So I can see that fear and I can move towards it. Right? Or what in the midst of my worst experience can I find a yes to or a gratefulness for? I still have my body. I still have this life. I, life, I still have breath. I still have my relationships. What can I find gratitude for? How can I shift my mind? And the more and more and more I've been able to do that, the more it feels like life is just more and more abundant. And there's been certain, certainly times in the past, and there may certainly be times in the future, where something that I'm attached to gets removed, and then there's like this big void. And then I think all of a sudden now, I'm in the victim role again. And how do I deal with that again? But I'm getting better and better just watching sometimes that we all hold these same archetypes. The victim archetype, the saboteur, the prostitute, and the child. This is Carolyn Mace's work. Brilliant. We all run those archetypes. They all have light aspects and they all have shadow aspects. And if I can become more and more aware of what's coming online at any given time, because I don't graduate from those archetypes. They're still going to be there. I just get more aware of when they're there. I get w- more aware of like low blood sugar moments and I'm going to be hangry and I need to eat. Right. right? Or what's going to lead me to that so I get better in my exercise, better in my diet, better in my mind states, more easy in my relationships and the kind of conversations that I want to have more of. So I don't listen to Fox News. Mm-hmm. I don't drink bush beer. That's not to make either of those wrong. They just don't resonate with me anymore. And they may not like Spirulina and, you know, like, <laughs> you know uh, Deva Pramal and, you know, whatever it is. And I wouldn't have liked those 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah so we're yeah. constantly evolving. We're constantly growing. We're constantly changing or excel or, you know, unfolding our relationship with truth. Yeah. 
But there is this co-creation of my own relationship to truth, my personal truth, and universal truths. Universal truths don't change. There is the law of cause and effect. There is the law of polarity. Right? Opposites are the same, they only differ in degree. This is from the Kabbalion, or Hermes Trismegistus, and it's really cool philosophy on like hermetic tradition. It's like opposites are the same, they only differ in degree. I never got my head around that until the example of temperature. Like cold and hot are the same. They're they're both temperatures, but they only differ in their sides of the pole. Right. right? So there's polarity, there's masculine and feminine complements, there's all these universal laws that don't change, right? So there's a universal consciousness or a greater oversoul, a collective consciousness that Carl Jung would say, and there's my own consciousness and my own subconscious. So there's like subconscious, conscious, superconscious. We're all co-creating the experience at any given moment. When we can wake up to that, it gets really like awe-inspiring. Yeah. Like, holy cow. I'm in charge of nothing and everything. I'm nothing and everything. I am the center of my own universe because I'm the only one thinking these thoughts and looking out of these eyes and feeling this experience. And so it's so magnificently powerful, and yet it's just a drop in the ocean. Where, like Rumi says, this is an, an entire ocean in one drop. You're like, wow, okay, I can see it both ways. Mm -hmm. And maybe both are true. Man, boom. Boom. Let's cheers to that. Cheers. Boom. <laughs> Mic drop. Mic Peace drop. Out. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, Dr. Dan, for yeah, coming brother. on, man. And I look Super forward good. to more interactions. There man. will be more. Awesome. Brother. Undoubtedly. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Yeah, and uh man, I'm gonna listen to this like multiple times. So <laughs> cool. Thank you. Yeah, Tony. Whoa, that was a super rad episode with Dr. Dan Angle. Yes, I really enjoy that man. He is an awesome man. I love that man. He's helping so many people find themselves, heal themselves, and uh, optimize themselves for, you know, potential in life by becoming more human and more loving and accepting of themselves and enabling themselves to, you know, live their best life ever and uh i hope you guys found that really valuable and i'd love to just give a huge shout out to dr dan angle for you know taking the time to to share his knowledge and wisdom with us and uh definitely check him out at uh dr dan uh amazing amazing man so thank you dr dan this episode is sponsored by F-Bomb Nut Butters. They're the bomb. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to Ross and Kara Taylor, the uh, proprietary, proprietary, the proprietors and founders of F-Bomb Nut Butters. Um, they sponsored the show and super grateful for their support. So if you want some high quality fats in your diet that's uh, easy to eat and on the go it can be used for a meal or a quick snack check out drop and and use the promo code flow real that's f-l-o-w-r-e-a-l and get 20 percent off 
your next order. So, with that, thank you guys for tuning in. I love you all, and stay hangry and horny. Mwah.